everyone, I'm Naomi and you are listening to On The Path. I'm an entrepreneur, a real food lover, a spiritual seeker, and a first time mom. Every week I'll be showcasing friends, family, and interesting guests who have unique perspectives on this thing called life. No topic is off limits. Business, personal development, food, and mindfulness are just a few of the topics we will be exploring. I want you to laugh, get inspired, and have some tools to take with you on the road ahead. This is On The Path. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of On The Path. I I don't even have words, honestly, to describe this interview with my friend Justin Foster. Justin is one of the co-founders of Root and & River, and he's in brand strategy. And him and his business partner, Emily, like to work with leaders who they call defiers. And those are people who have deep convictions and want their brand to be a monument for what they believe in. But in this episode, we talk not only about that, in business, but we talk about how you can apply those same lessons to your personal life in order to steer yourself on your most fulfilling path. And it's just incredibly inspirational. We delve into the creative mind, how to discover what you're here to do, and how to really return to yourself. So let's do it. I can't wait. I can't, can't wait. You're listening to On The Path, where we believe wellness is more than just the food you eat. It's what you think, how you live, and the daily choices you make. Your host, Naomi Seifter, will share new perspectives, insights, and tools to help you live your best life. Without further ado, here's Naomi. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy you're here. Me too. Thank you, Naomi. I've been looking forward to this since you invited me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just have to say the first time we sat down, I was so enamored and inspired by you. And so I would love for you to start off by just telling everybody a little bit about yourself, your journey, and your story. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I... You know, I'm, I'll be 50 this year, so this uh, can get elongated. So I'm just going to give you like the three things that if it was a movie, these scenes would have <laughs> to be in there. Now, one is I grew up on a cattle ranch. I'm very proud of my roots. Grown up, grew up a cowboy. My cheesy dad joke is I've been in branding my whole life. <laughs> uh, so um, the second thing is, is I'm, I am uh, autodidactic and a polymath, meaning that's my fancy way of saying I never I never finished college. Oh wow! I went. I got married when I was eighteen, and we made a human, Logan, at twenty-one. And I just, I just wanted to go out and be an adult, and I, and I wasn't very good at it for many years. Yeah. Um, and then in twenty fourteen, um, I had what I I guess would only be described as a spiritual awakening, which culminated in a bunch of things, including moving from Boise to here, and so having a background that was was um, very different than what I believe now. And uh, and then entrepreneur-wise, I've been self-employed since 2003, um, doing brand strategy most of that time, um, a few little detours and experiences doing other things. But um, six-plus years ago, I met Emily Sikorsi, my business partner and creative partner at a conference, and we hit it off. I came into her company that she was head of marketing for. We blew their minds together, and we are like, we should do this. And yeah. So we launched Root and River in officially or like publicly we launched in January of 2016. So what do you do with Root and River? If you can share a little sure. bit about your business, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So Root and River is built around this idea that great brands should feel like spiritual experiences. Uh, and that branding has been used primarily as a tool of manipulation and coercion and persuasion with mm. things like the Marlboro Man, you know, and, that, and Aunt Jemima and, you know. Betty Crocker, mm-hmm. the sort of perception, the, the perception was more important than the truth. And advertising was designed to sort of manufacture a reality that people could opt into, which was participating in not only an illusion, but in manipulation of mm-hmm. people's, usually their fears. If you don't drink our beer, you're not going to, pretty girls won't talk to you. If you yeah. don't use our life insurance, your family's going to be homeless when you die. You know, that type yeah. of stuff. And so um, Emily and I built the brand around this idea of all great brands are spiritual experiences, but it's for a specific type of person that we call a defier. Mm, What is that? A defier is someone that is using their business and their brand to change the world. 
So these are not our clients, but we admire them like Yvonne Chouinard, mm. uh, the founder of Patagonia, uh, Mark Benioff, the Salesforce CEO, Dan Price, the CEO of Gravity Payments in Seattle that paid his employees, made the decision to pay his employees a minimum wage of $70,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, this idea of a defier is someone that's not just in business to be in business. They're in business to be in, to, to make meaning, not just money. Right. Like to do something with it that puts a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. And so those people need, they don't need an ad agency. Um, an ad agency is fine, but it's not our model. What they need is a coach to guide them through the process of going inward to find out who they really are, whether mm-hmm. it's a personal brand or a corporate brand. It's just a matter of the number of humans. It's the same process. Yeah. Going inward, finding out your mission and your message, and organizing your entire brand around your mission and your message. And as opposed to ad campaigns and click funnels and all that stuff. So So do you feel like that really starts with the founder or do you feel like it starts with the head of an organization? Who do you go to when a brand is interested in kind of reinventing themselves or really getting clarity on what their mission is? Yeah, the door opening is going to vary between like a CEO or a CMO, um, sometimes HR, sometimes a chief people officer will be our kind of our advocate. But we always involve the entire senior leadership team in when we're branding an entity or an organization. We want the CFO and the COO and all the people that are non-market facing there because they're part of the brand. In fact, Mm -hmm. your people people, your chief people officer, your ops people, they have far more impact on your brand than your marketing people. Yeah. um, Because they are the keepers of the culture. Yeah, and they help guide the chief marketing officer. Exactly. And so um, we want everyone on the senior leadership team um, to be involved in the inner work and the brand discovery. Then we want to roll it out to everyone in the company. So every time we do an, a, a brand strategy for any size of company, we have some sort of rollout to the employees and to the staff and to the other levels in the org chart because it's their brand. Yeah. Um, collect. It's Basically, what we're doing is we're branding the collective consciousness of an organization or the soul of the brand. We're branding around that as opposed to business models, which change, um, market position, which can be eroded. Um, and then on a very practical level, and this is more for corporate brands than or you know, org, org brands than personal brands, is we really focus on designing a category. And so there's a rule in branding and marketing, which if you can't be number one or number two in your category, make a new one. So <laughs> hey. Love that. Yeah. So you can't, you know, now if somebody comes along and they want to compete with Lyft and Uber, they have to do something radically different. They can't be number three because nobody gives a shit about number right, three. Right, 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 right. Um, most products or services or offerings in the marketplace either have one category, queen or king, or two. Rarely do they have three or four. Well, that's a, you know, we're not all woo-woo and like the spiritual side only. We're this very practical thing, which is around sort of essentially world domination. Mm-hmm. Like, a well-branded mission never fails. And so if you brand your mission and you have this message from the soul speaking to the heart in a non-manipulative way, it triggers some sort of attraction in the marketplace and repulsion. It repul- repels people that don't believe that. Mm-hmm. So when Patagonia makes a stand to take on Trump related to the use of national parks, they're not trying to get MAGA hat wearers right, to buy right, their products. Right. Yeah. If they do, that's fine, but they're not kowtowing to them. Right. If Chick-fil-A wants to be closed on Sunday and all a bunch of market pressure for them to open and they don't want to do it because they're a privately held company, that's up to them. Yeah. So this is where you let your principles drive your business decisions. And we believe if you're having your principles drive your business, then even more so they should drive your brand. Oh, my gosh. This is making me emotional hearing <laughs> you say this because it is really hard when you start a company to not want to try and cater to everybody, right? We, especially at Picnic, working in this real food movement, we see people from all walks of life. We see some people who are raw all the way to people who are carnivores Mm -hmm. and everything in between, vegan, vegetarian, ketogenic, et cetera, et cetera, everything. And so I've always believed in making our product available for as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. But to your point, you can't cater to everybody. Mm -hmm. You have to decide who your audience is and make the best possible product, the best possible Mm -hmm. mission, ethos, et cetera, to support the people who are in alignment with what you believe. Right. One of our mantras that we teach our clients is make the world react to you because your audience isn't who you're looking for. Your audience is is who's looking for you. So if you look at that from like a hero's journey, Joseph Campbell thing, Mm -hmm. you're the mentor. They're the hero. 
And that hero is going to come up, show up in many forms. And you guys are such a great example of that, where it could be somebody that's like a vegan about, you know, and they and they can have their needs taken care of. Yeah. Somebody that's, you know, omnivore uh, and just wants good, solid, healthy food like me. Um, you know, they, there's an option for them. Somebody looking for cheap, fast, um, uh, a different environment, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, they want quiet dining, or maybe they want like club dining yep. or something like. They're not. That's not that. It's, and and also in in your CPG uh, stuff as well, in your in your consumer products as well as is, is. And this is where this is where why branding is primarily an act of courage, because it is really really hard to push back against ten thousand years of social programming to be liked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But. When you take a stand, it's it's good for your brand to take a stand, even yes. though your ego mind goes, "No, we we got to make everyone happy." And um, a rule of branding, another rule of branding is when you narrow your focus, you broaden your appeal. So that takes discipline, it takes courage, and more than anything, Naomi, it takes understanding who you are. What we would say, not identity from a brand perspective, like your logo, but your identity as your ethos or your essence. Mm-hmm. And most organizations run by people with really developed thinking brains um, are in a perpetual identity crisis. They don't really know who they are, so they only identify with their audience, their shareholders, their product line, their distribution systems. None of that shit matters if you don't know who you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So can you use any of these principles on self-development? Yeah, I think it actually starts there. Mm we talk about this trifecta, and this is primarily with entrepreneurs, but it does apply to anyone, is the trifecta is your business needs to be solid, your brand needs to be solid, and your self-care needs to be solid. Mm-hmm. You get any of those out of balance, then you're slogging through the mud. And I think the same rule applies, which is the root of happiness is self-love, and its bloom is self-acceptance. So if you, if you, if you are in a career situation, this is why I talk about you. Figure out what your mission is, then figure out your career, mm. because you can have a career and it never, maybe never informs your mission, but you can have a mission and it will inform your career. It'll tell you, oh, this is what I'm here to do. Um, again, that's counter to, you know, go to a good school and get a good job right. and, and all that other stuff. It's sometimes counter to that, and it doesn't mean you got to be poor or an artist or anything. Maybe maybe what your mission is is you know that's that's kind of the root of you. Your root identity is in um, you know in developing software tools that make people's lives better. You know, or something. Maybe it's around health. Yeah. It doesn't. It, there's everyone's got a mission if they do the inner work to find out what it is. So when you mentioned that you didn't go to college, mm-hmm. I have to comment on that because so many people believe I go to school and I get a degree and therefore I get a job and I set myself up for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and maybe put their happiness second mm-hmm. to I'm going to get a great career opportunity because I got this degree, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I also, I went to school for something completely unrelated to what I do now. Right. I went to college for musical theater and I think that... You sharing your experience of not going to college is empowering for other people to recognize you don't have to have a degree to end up doing something that you love that Mm -hmm. creates a great, viable Mm -hmm. career opportunity for you. And I Mm -hmm. actually, I think sometimes it can get in the way of Mm -hmm. people defining what they're actually passionate about in their mission before they look for jobs. Yeah, yeah, I agree agree with that. And I think to me, it's really about experience. Like, you know, your 20s, to me, I say this is, again, almost 50. Your 20s are to experience things, to find out what you don't like. And and you can't, you can't figure out what you don't like if you don't go experience things. And I think college or any kind of education is part of that. But really what we're talking about is, again, I use the term autodidactic, which is being self-taught, which mm. is it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. If you're not teaching yourself, if you're not learning about yourself, if you're not learning about the way your mind works, your body works, your your everything under the sun that makes you and other humans and all that. If you're not learning about that, then you basically have this static knowledge set, and that's where irrelevance comes from. Mm. And so when I don't, I don't, you know, my business Emily is very well educated, so I'm not anti-education. Yeah, we, no, we, me we either, have these of we have these discussions a lot. But I didn't. I told my sons that are, Logan, who's 27, and Caden, who's about who'll be 22 in a couple months. I'm not – you can go to college. I'm not paying for it unless you feel like it's something that you feel called to do. Mm-hmm. Then I'll help you pay for it. Both of them – Logan's works for Airbnb now, but Caden is an artist here in Austin. 
And both of them, though, early in their kind of post-high school careers, began to pursue their actual passion. Um, Logan was a chef. Caden's an artist. Logan still does, like, private chefing and stuff like that. But anyway, all of that was around this idea of have experiences. Have experiences. And as you get into your 30s, then you're, you know, learning light. You have these. You have a set of experiences you can draw from. Mm-hmm. Mine was pretty small, you know. Uh, when you get married when you're 18, it really limits your exposure to the world. Like and to, had and your I had first Logan, yeah, Logan was born when I was 21 right? or 20. I think I just had turned 22 when he was born. So um, all of that was very much, you know, the proverbial road less traveled. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying do it. <laughs> I got no formula. Yeah, I'm not saying my life is the model. I'm just saying question. Um, question conventional wisdom about what people tell you, you sh- what you should do with your career, your life, your relationships. Question all that because it's usually based off of advice from people that have a bias about a certain way of doing things because it makes them feel better about their lives. Yes. I think that's really so powerful. And I had that ex- same same exact experience. But it was through those other experiences outside of education that my life was really shaped. And to your point, I think it just gives people permission to think about things in a different way. Yeah. I remember I was very lucky to have support in my tuition. Mm-hmm. But I remember I had a friend who was working at Starbucks when I started at school. And by the time I had graduated, she had a management position and was making close to six figures a year Mm -hmm. by managing in Starbucks. And she didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. And everybody I graduated school with were struggling to find entry-level jobs, Mm -hmm. minimum wage jobs once they got out of college. And so it made me reflect on just the whole system Mm -hmm. of, you know, you can make a decision to go to college and go that path and Mm -hmm. could be really set up for success, or you can trudge away Mm -hmm. without without it and still pave a great career for yourself and potentially find something to your point that you're more passionate about. Right. And in your case, you said music theater. Musical theater, yeah. Musical theater. So so this is my observation as as a customer of Picnic is I see that very much in your brand because I think this is what maybe this taught you, and this is a guess, is that musical theater taught you the discipline of art. Mm-hmm. Not the necessarily art of discipline, but the discipline of art. This idea that art is not just show up and throw some paint on something. No. It's got structure to it and intentionality. Maybe yes. that's another word to use. And that is that permeates all aspects of the picnic brand, both in the retail side and the CPG side. Oh, it's huge, actually. Yeah. And my experience with musical theater actually started even before college. It was something I was very passionate about as a kid. And it gave me this desire when we built the restaurant to make the experience like you're on stage, mm-hmm. you're off stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And for us, it's in the hospitality world, I felt like it was really important that our staff members recognize people are looking at you mm-hmm. everything you mm-hmm. do. They're yeah. looking at you when you're on the floor. They're yep. looking at you if you pull your phone out of your apron. You know, they look at all of the details and they their experience is curated around that. Well, that's you know? part of the reason why, like, people ask me, and I speak at a lot of universities and stuff, is, like, get a humanities-type degree. Um, so, you know, liberal arts, psychology, human side. Yeah. Um, because that is business now, and it's the future of business. Um, you know, you can—I'm not saying you shouldn't have an MBA or some of these other things. That's that's fine. Um, but you're going to learn a lot more about modern business by getting it, by understanding art and, mm-hmm. uh, and exercising your mm-hmm. right brain and creative thinking and design thinking yep. and all that other stuff. Because that is the future of business. Because the, the things related to business on the op side are pretty well, they've been pretty well vetted. Like there's a certain way to run a business. There's a certain systems mm-hmm. that are necessary. It's the humans that determine that. The humans in the company the way you treat your vendors, which is an often understated aspect of a brand, and then the way that you treat, obviously, your customers. Yeah. That all comes, if you have a humanities mind, if you've exercised your feeler brain, you will have a much better sense of emotional intelligence around things like UX or, or CX, yeah. um, those type of concepts, as yeah. opposed to um, digital only or business ops or, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that now with programs that, in, that inter interweave, that's a word, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, uh, the various elements of it. So it's not just standalone, but it's a mindset. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to share one other thing because you mentioned that you can tell that the musical theater element is integrated integrated into the company. For me also, I feel like having the confidence and standing up and being in front of people and doing things like this podcast or being willing to throw mm-hmm. myself into it and explore it is because of my background being on stage. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting how all your life experiences really dramatically shape yes. your future. And sometimes you look back and you don't realize why something was important in the moment. Mm-hmm. But 10 years later, you can look right. back and be like, oh, wow, I really understand why I had to learn that skill. For example, when I started on the path and I just decided I was going to figure it out, mm-hmm. I started pulling up Adobe Illustrator and doing some images for the blog and for Instagram. And that is stuff I hadn't done since college, like right. graphic design work. Right. And at the time, I didn't realize that that was a skill I would ever use yeah, again. Right. But it's funny how they all kind of keep permeating yeah. your life. Totally. When you become self, ed- what'd you call it? An Auto-didi- autodidactic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You Self-educated. Self-educate. Yeah. So I would love to talk to you a little bit about how somebody can take steps to reinvent themselves as a person or as a company, because this is work that you do in, mm-hmm. in branding with businesses. But is there anything that our listeners can think about in their in their personal life? So uh, the idea of reinvention. So let's ch- I'm going to challenge that idea to begin with. Um, I think there's more returning than reinventing. Ooh, I yes. think that, and this is a getting into kind of spiritual realm, but, you know, I've listened to many episodes of your podcast, and I know that's okay. Yes. Uh, is we are born exactly as who we are in the sense of sort of some sort of essence. Like, it's not not everything is social programming. There's an essence to us that is always there. Like, one of the questions we ask when we're doing a root session with a client is what is something? What are some things you've always known to be true that you weren't taught? Mm-hmm. So you start to do this analysis of there was an original me, what Thomas More calls the original self. Um, Jung, Carl Jung called it the true self. So these are, these are you know, not old, these are old ideas, but that you, the real you, um, is then begun begins to be shifted and changed pretty early in life to be. Uh, fig- to figure out what you need to be in order to fit in. What do you need to do be in order to please your parents or please the, the minister or the teacher or whatever? And that becomes people's reality. And when they're when and so when they're off and they've they've done they've done they followed all the rules. Like when I speak to millennials, I'll ask the room, how many of you feel like how many of you are under 35? You know, it's a millennial room full of millennial age people, most of them. <laughs> How many of you feel like you're having your midlife crisis early? Most of them will raise their yeah. hand. And one, I sp- said this at a conference once, and uh, a, a young man raised his hand and tears in his voice, in his eyes and shaky voice. He said, I did everything they told me to do, and I'm still miserable. And, and, and that was this idea that that becomes your reality. And then you start to make decisions around that related to relationships or careers or where you're going to live, and you start to justify. Yeah. I don't I don't really – I'm not, like, way into this person, but I think everyone's telling me it's time to get married. Yeah. Or I don't really want this career, but I make six figures, and I live in this nice house, and I live, belong to this country club. None of those things are bad, but if they're part of this illusory version of you, then they – that's where suffering comes. Mm-hmm. That's where depression, anxiety, it's the separation from true self. So the first step is to return. This is why all good, deep psychotherapy is returning to your childhood um, to understand and heal childhood wounds. Mm-hmm. That's the first step. And we're all wounded. Yeah. Some of us are wounded by certainty. Some of us are wounded by uncertainty, but we're all wounded as kids. It's just the nature of being. Um, what African, um, tr- some African tribes refer to as the wound is, is, is like this thing that happens in your childhood that you got to figure it out because it's designed for you to return to yourself. So that's step one. Step two is you have to figure out what you're here to do. And what you're here to do is the culmination of your experiences and your gifts. It's And, and it's... It's not about passion. I challenge people to say, I need to find my passion. Well, passion is a fickle mistress. Mm -hmm. That will change. And that's okay. Passion's good. But you need to find your purpose or your mission. And and that's why I have literally tattooed on my forearm, the mission is in the suffering. Mm. Because that's where we find our mission. That's where we find the treasure hidden inside of us. And, you know, the diamond in the mud, you know, type of thing. So that's the second thing is figuring out your mission. And the third thing is, is figuring out what you have to share with the world. 
You can call it your story, your message, your point of view. There's a bunch of different terms for it. But what are you going to go talk about? What are you going to be the prophet of? What are you going to be a messenger about? Is it about um, equality? Is it about social justice? Is it about um, personal health? What, what is your thing that you're going to talk about? You So you go, you return. You return to who you truly are. You figure out what your mission is. You figure out what your message is. And then, you know, at this point, it's just about execution. Mm-hmm. And then you realize you've reinvented yourself. But you didn't reinvent yourself by going, I want to be this version of me. Now, I think there's a time of life for that in 20s and 30s in particular. Maybe late teens up into your maybe early 30s mm-hmm. where you can sort of play with who you think you are. But there comes a point where you got to be you. And... Um, is my, one of my favorite thinkers, John Eldridge, says, make the world feel the weight of who you truly are and let them figure it out. Mm. You know, that's what, wow. we, that's what we need to get to. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, this thing that's popular, vulnerability, authenticity, all these things that we claim we think are important, they become real. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part about this, Naomi, is that when you do this type of thing, thing things die. Relationships die. Careers die. Um, roots die because you move, you, you you go where you're supposed to go, and you you you, you get a new a new life mm-hmm. out of this process. And most people, if you've built your entire being on this illusory life that was an invention of that wounded self that you created in order to survive in the world, that all that shit's got to burn down. Yep. You got the term I use is burn down the movie set. Mm-hmm. You got to burn down the movie set and build something real. Well, that's why it makes sense that people do this exercise before they define the career, or once they do these exercises, they might really realize I'm I'm doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not aligned with my greatest gifts, with mm-hmm. what my purpose is, with what I see in the world. And so w- you're correct. Once somebody gets clarity on that, everything else in their life might shift. If they're courageous enough Mm -hmm. to take action, to live more authentically in Mm -hmm. alignment with what their soul spirit really is striving for. Yes. And but there's so much social pressure to not do that. Yeah. Um, And so it's it takes tremendous courage when it's all said and done. Like it takes courage, not feeling courage. Courage is a behavior, not a feeling. Mm -hmm. But Just doing courageous things. and a lot of that is around establishment of boundaries, hard for people to do. Americans in particular, not good with boundaries. Um, a lot of it is being willing to tell someone that you love, that you're in partnership with, I don't want to do this anymore, whether mm-hmm. it's that relationship yeah. or I don't want to live here or I don't want to have this job, and being willing to risk it all. Um, this is why I watch the movie every year. I watch the movie Jeremiah Johnson. I've never heard of that. So it's a Robert Redford movie from the early 70s, like 1972, okay. about a mountain man who had this you know, based off of the way the story unfolds, he had kind of this cush life in, you know, the city and decides to go to the mountains as a, what they call a greenhorn, you know, which is mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, a rookie, an amateur, and figure out how to be a mountain man. And to me, that's what life is. Mm-hmm. It's like going out into out into the next mountain, the next thing, and feeling scared, feel, uh, never getting never getting too comfortable with your skill set. Like, mm-hmm. learn to do some things that you have amateur status in. Um, like, for me, that's songwriting yeah. um, or um, poetry or uh, meditation. As I'm amateur status in that stuff. But I love that feeling because it's like going out into the mountains again. It's like going out into the mountains of your soul and finding new things about yourself. I love that so much. Like, for me right now, it's gardening. We put a couple of garden beds in our backyard because I've always been really inspired about the idea of growing my own herbs and plants. And, oh man, the first season we planted stuff, it was like such a miserable failure, you know? You plant one head of broccoli and it's like, right. wow, this takes actually like six months to grow. Right. It's like, does, it, you don't, you're not getting like multiple heads of broccoli. It's like really, it's humbling to throw yourself into something new. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good reminder that nobody got to where they are without starting somewhere. That's right. Yeah, you have to start somewhere for anything. And so a lot of times people look at these experts or you see people on Instagram who have achieved something great in their career and they mm-hmm. think, wow, I, I could never get there. But they had to start somewhere yes, too. Right. And I think, I think it shifts. And I think this idea of reinvention is maybe just um, 
finding things to have beginner's mind about again. Mm-hmm. You think somebody has accomplished as accomplished as LeBron James, who had he says he feels like he feels young again because he's learning how to play with Anthony Davis and they're mm-hmm. having this really great season, and and it's because he's doing something that he's never really done, which is allowing himself to be the integrator as opposed to the man. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the other teams he's been on, he had to be it. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a, that's maturity right there. And he's in his early 30s as an example. And I think, I think it's that willingness to go not be good at something or be uncomfortable at something, knowing that all the things you are good at, you're still going to keep take with mm-hmm. you. You're still going to take that stuff with you. But that's where complacency comes in when you think your skill set is enough. And I think the reinvention is learn some new skills. Yeah. Try some things. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, I love, I love the idea of gardening or I like the idea of like I'm – Caden, my younger son, and I are going to take a primitive camping class. Oh, that's so cool. You know, like we know some of that stuff, yeah. but, you know, that it's 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 not just— Now's a perfect time for it, Yeah, too, exactly. Right? <laughs> I was like, I wonder if there's any spots available, you know. But uh, Sign me up. Yeah. So um, anyway, so all of that from a reinvention standpoint is just um, being humble. Mm-hmm. Being humble, like, and, and being real with yourself, like— Trying to extract joy from something that no longer is joyful is basically a recipe for sadness. Yep, yep. Kevin always says an organism at war with itself can never survive. That's true. You know, it's that same idea. It's like if you just put yourself in a position where you're not allowing yourself to grow and you become stagnant Mm -hmm. and you're not doing anything that's inspiring to you, it it's a recipe for disaster yeah. to your point. You made a comment in our first meeting that I just loved. And I think you mentioned it was maybe a Buddha quote. You said, get outside for 30 minutes a day unless you're busy than an hour. Yes. But I think that same idea could be the case with spending time in something where you have a beginner's mind, mm-hmm. right? Like do something for 30 minutes a day that is new to you. That's correct. Yeah, because, I love that idea. Or it, unless you're busy, then do it for an hour. Right. Or something you have a beginner's mind because that would be an amazing source of inspiration for somebody. Don't you think? I agree. And I think a part of this is the is thinking like a creator. So I'm a huge Stephen Pressfield fan um, in his book, The War of Art and Turning Pro. And he's uh, those are must-reads around this idea. Austin Kleon, who wrote Steal Like an Artist, he's an Austin-based author. Yeah. Um, is The thing that we can exercise forever and ever is our creative mind. Um, our intellectual mind can get pretty stagnant because it's just trying to problem solve. And once the problem solved, yeah. it, it will make up new problems. Um, but the creative mind is like the child, almost childish, like this, you know, like painting, drawing, singing, um, finding a thing that exercises that creative brain and, and then having the courage and the commitment to put that first, mm-hmm. to put it at the top of your list of things you're going to do. It's like, man, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. I got all this massive to-do list and I'm going to do something creative. But you said it, it's a force multiplier. It opens up energy spots that doing just doing your to-do list would never do. Yeah. You're doing your to-do list is depleting. Creative work is kind of depleting, but it produces more energy. Mm-hmm. It's a renewable resource in many ways. Um, and this is why I talk so much in... in on podcasts and speaking around the country and in, in, the, in the other areas, like you, you most of us, unless we were nurtured as creatives when we were younger, have uh, we do that as a after afterthought afterthought afterthought. Yeah, when I'm successful, I'm going to paint right um, and or whatever the medium, whatever you're going to do is. And I'm saying do it now because that's how you stay fresh. That's how you get that beginner's mind because you're doing. You're doing stuff that you're not good at. Well, and everybody's too busy. Yes. Everybody's yeah. too busy. I banned the word busy right? <laughs> from my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you're too busy. Everybody, I'm doing air quotes right now, is too busy to fit in right. those things that actually bring them back to right. life. Right. Bring them into that place of feeling like they have a renewable resource to pull right. from. And it's not really time management that's not the issue. Energy management is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this goes to nutrition to some extent, yeah. of course. and. Um, creativity. It's all about if you have the energy, you can find the time. Mm-hmm. If you have the time, you may not have the energy. Right. I mean, you, it, it's, it's, it's fickle, like I said, that way. Um, so 
you know, energy management, um, energy management is also heavily influenced by your relationships. So if you're around people that drain your batteries, you know, we can't always be around people that make us all happy. Um, sometimes we have to be around people that don't. But if, if your whole life is immersed in people that wear your ass out emotionally, you're, 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 your brain thinks you're starving to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to find soothing mechanisms, which inevitably comes some, becomes some sort of addiction or attachment issue. So that's my take on it. Wow. I didn't I, go to school. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why do you need to? I know. Right? I, I mean, just because sarcastic. listening to you is just, I'm like, I have chills all over my body, truly, mm-hmm. because I think that nobody gives people permission. I keep talking about in this episode this theme of permission, but mm-hmm. it's like society does not give an individual permission to actually work and live in alignment with their authentic self and feelings and yeah. what they really want for themselves. Yeah. To your point, it's like yeah. what you said when you had your kids and you encouraged them, like, why don't you pursue life opportunities and jobs that are in alignment with what your soul wants, mm-hmm. with your what your passion is? It's just completely the opposite of what we're taught to do. Right. Right? When I was growing up, granted, times were very different, but it's like my teachers in school were all like, you have to go to college mm-hmm. to get yourself a degree, to do this mm-hmm. job that's going to land you with the money you need to pay your bills. But mm-hmm. nobody ever talked about personal fulfillment or mm-hmm. happiness right. or how your job is what you spend a third of your time waking day mm-hmm. minimum right, doing right. so you might as well do something you fucking love right because otherwise you're going to be so miserable i mean 8 hours a day is a, literally a third of a 24 hour day mm-hmm. and that's the minimum that people work now mm-hmm. a 40 hour work week mm-hmm. you know yeah and i think i know what you mean about that like uh, that kind of social conditioning uh, if you will um around um that pressure and um this is why I don't like the word empower. No one can empower anyone. You have power. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be reminded of your power, but you empower makes it sound like I'm going to transfer power to you. It's the same thing applies to liberty or freedom or sovereignty. I can't transfer liberty or permission, which is basically, I can't transfer that to you. All I can do is remind you of the power you have. And it's like Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, says said, um, a man can have everything taken from him but this, his ability to change his perspective in any situation. And so I think this key is, is it's not so much you can be aware of what other people want from you and your social conditioning. There's usually no harm intended with all that stuff. Most people just want you to be safe, uh, especially parents and, you know, society. But you have to you have to figure out what makes you happy. You have to figure out what that is. And if you're trying to figure out what makes you happy and you're doing it disconnected from your true self, you're just going to go from thing to thing to thing mm-hmm. with an empty bowl. Mm-hmm. And it'll fill up for a while mm-hmm. and then it'll empty out. And people can live like that a long time, but it doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I p- almost plead, implore, like, go go return back to who you truly are. That's your starting point. And it's never too late to do something different. Mm. It's never too late to do that. That's made up bullshit narrative, mm. your ego mind trying to protect you and keep you alive and safe, but you can reinvent at any time. I would also say that to be aware of from a, like a privilege standpoint, like if education, getting a good job, that type of thing really depends where you're at on Maslow's hierarchy. What's if you're, that? Maslow's hierarchy is a psychological model of where you're at related to the three areas, which are the base or survival, the middle is acceptance or or like uh, fitting in tribe, and the top is self-actualization, which is an awakening or mm-hmm. consciousness. If you're down in survival mode, um, one of the ways to get out of survival mode is to get educated. Is This has happened, you see, with the rapid increase of middle class and people of color. Um, education has driven that to a large extent, access to education. But but once you're up in the second tier of Maslow's hierarchy, if you want to get to self-actualization, it's going to come from being willing to understand that you can't extract happiness from where it does not grow. You have to go figure out what makes you happy. and that's. But that requires you to sacrifice, like I said earlier, sacrifice this life you created. And, um, and it's one of the rules of nature that in order for something to live, something has to die. And what has to die 
is this world that you created that's the middle of Maslow's hierarchy that's preventing you from getting to self-actualization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would say, from a from an evolutionary psychology standpoint, it's it's a struggle to go from survival to acceptance. That's a struggle. Yeah. Um, that many people in America, in particular, never really understand. They have you know they have emotional trauma, but they have they, they weren't poor. Right. They weren't beaten. They weren't you know shot at, and. So that's its own journey, and that's a topic for maybe for another time. But the journey from acceptance and fitting in to self-actualization, that is a dry, long-ass desert sometimes that yeah. you've got to walk it alone. you got to you got to cross that desert alone because it's so easy to just say, just to surrender to like, well, oh, this is my life now. Yeah. And it's so easy to be shaped for other people to shape that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way that you yeah, think about yourself, because right? You're, yeah, you're wired for acceptance right. at that point. Like, what? And this is we see this in branding all the time, which is, well, here's what I think we need to be. Yeah. Like, no, you need to. Or be Or this you. person told me who I am. Yeah. Yes. Right. Or what do we want to say in order for people to see us a certain way? Yeah. No, don't do that. Just tell the truth. Say who you are, and like I said, make them react to you. Yeah. And that's why it all boils back down to identity. Mm. If you know who you are. How you show up in the world, your brand, which is how you show up in the world, is going to be different than if you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who you are, the marketplace will either ignore you or they will tell you what to be. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have courage and awareness, you'll go be that. And now you're a construct. Yep. Now you're an illusion. Now you're a ghost. And it's not really you. And then you're not really living no. in integrity. Not really. I mean, you may be a good person. Yeah. And have, be making a good living and be a good parent. You can be yeah. good, but you can't be great yeah. down at that level. Holy shit. This is just so good. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like we need to do this again because I, uh, well, we are, by the way. I, I definitely feel like it's important for me to share trans- transparency mm-hmm. in my journey. And, like, when I sat down with you the first time, I'm like, it is so clear we have to work together because right. I am at just a really exciting point in my life where, you know, my business is seven years old mm-hmm. and we're just getting started and Picnic has continued to shape and grow and evolve. And I now have this incredible opportunity to help continue to guide it into mm-hmm. what's next, mm-hmm. what's coming, what is, what are we becoming? It's like that Charles Bukowski quote we were talking about before we started recording, invent yourself and then reinvent mm-hmm. yourself, right? Picnic is an ever-evolving thing because everything around us is ever-evolving. Mm-hmm. But I have this blessed opportunity to kind of be at the front of that mm-hmm. and to help continue to inspire it with my own journey and my mm-hmm. own experiences. And so when I met Justin after hearing him on a podcast, I'm like, I want to work with this guy to help me continue to get in alignment with what I'm really, what who am, who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I? What do, what do I talk about? What do I share? What are the things that are most meaningful to me? And just hearing you share your story and the way you think about things, I get lit up every single mm-hmm. time because I just... I, I I love I love the empower uh, not empowerment right <laughs> hey, we just talked about that but, but I love yeah. the opportunity for people to step into their personal power right. and I agree with you that it very much is a solo experience to get clarity on that and it's part of the reason why I always talk about uh, something that's important to me is taking a minimum of two-week spiritual retreat once mm-hmm. a year right. because that's the time where I get away from everything. I get away from business. I get mm-hmm. away from family. I seclude myself. I go into a place with meditation and breathing exercises and yoga or whatever it mm-hmm. looks like that year. Last year, I did shaman school. Mm-hmm. The year before, I went and stayed in a cabin in a yoga ashram in the Bahamas. It changes every year, but that's the time where... I get rid of all the distractions and I can really just sit and focus on who am I? Yeah. What do I want? What do I want my life to look like? Yeah. What am I going to do to get myself closer to that? Right. And that's a really valuable exercise. I actually made the decision to do that for the first time because of a shaman I met when I was traveling to Mexico. Hmm. She said to me, people who are kind of doing positive work in the world and are spiritually curious Mm -hmm. need a minimum of two to four weeks a year in isolation Mm -hmm. to really get re-energized, reinvigorated. And the part of the reason why is exactly what you've shared. It allows you a chance to feel like you are getting into better alignment with your 
self Mm -hmm. and focusing on the things you actually are passionate Mm -hmm. about at your core. And that's the renewable energy that then will fuel you for the rest of the year. And and lest lest people think that, you know, um, well, I can't go to the Bahamas. You know, I can't I can't afford that. This type of thing that you've discovered, you've found your way to do it. Mm -hmm. It's it can be done. It can be done every day yep. and actively. So, for example, everyone can do 10 minutes of meditation. Yes. Even if you do it in the shower and you do so this, like, what's called a Hindu washing ritual where you thank God or the universe for your body and you, like, touch all your parts and oh, think. Oh, I love that. Now you're grounded in your body, which is all you got when it comes to sort of how you interact with the world. And most of us are very detached from our bodies, especially Americans. Yeah. Um, the second thing you can do is you can practice silence. You can not have the TV on in the morning. You can, if you're driving to work, you can be in complete silence. Yeah. You can do that. If you if you choose not to, that's you. That's not somebody saying you don't have the money or the time. You chose to fill it up with music or a podcast or something, which is fine, mm-hmm. but just do that. Uh, tech-free meals. Get rid of technology, at least one meal a day. And then finally, if you could spend one hour in nature a week, you know, let's go <laughs> with that. Just one hour by yourself even if it's to just go sit in the park and listen to kids play and listen to the birds and feel the sunshine on your back or the rain on your neck, whatever, that grounds you in being. Mm-hmm. And most of what this is that you've discovered and I've discovered and each of us do in our own way is about being. It's mm-hmm. about the daily thisness of life. Mm-hmm. It's not about the day. It's not about the that. Someday I'll do that. It's about this. What am I going to do today? That feeds my soul. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Mark Willis when I had him on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He made this great comment. I just have it on repeat in my brain. He goes, something about my goal is to be more tomorrow than I am today and more right. the next day than I am tomorrow. Right. And just this idea of we are a constantly evolving, shifting, growing person. Yeah. And a lot of times we get in this place of being so... Um, forward thinking. We think so much about the future, Mm -hmm. things we can't control, or we think so much about the past, things that have already happened. But the opportunity to be in this stillness, the Mm thisness, the now Mm -hmm. is so, so important. And we're always thinking about all the stuff that could be or what has been Mm -hmm. and giving you an opportunity to just be present. So much stuff can happen there. That's where, that's where it happens for me on those retreats. And to comment on what you said about, well, people say, you know, I can't afford to do this. I can't, uh, you know, I couldn't go there because Mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z reasons. I want to comment on that really Mm -hmm. quick because I said that to the shaman who recommended I Mm -hmm. go. I said, you know, I just, it doesn't align with my life right now. It was like right when we were building the restaurant, I was so busy. I had all these interviews lined up and I didn't have a lot of support. And I said, there's no way I could get away. There's no way I could do that. And she said, once you make a commitment that's in alignment with your highest and best self and your best interest, once you make that commitment, you book your trip, Mm -hmm. for example, she said anything you think is a conflict is just going to disappear. And she was spot on. Mm -hmm. I mean, within a day of me booking my trip to the ashram where I went, I had interview after interview after engagement cancel. Every single one Mm -hmm. canceled during that two-week stretch that I was supposed to be gone. They're like, hey, I'm sorry, conflict came up. Can I reschedule? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, my schedule was completely clear. She was just validating that if you make the decision to be courageous Mm -hmm. and do the work that's in alignment with your best self and your best interests, the universe is going to come together to support you. Totally. Providence is very attracted to to action, mm. like to positive action or courage. It's very attracted to it. So who knows? I don't know how that all works. I don't need to know how that all works. Yeah. But it does. There's an element to it that is very real in the sense that you, you, but you have to buy, you have to, and I say buy on purpose, you have to buy your own freedom. You got to put the blocks on the calendar to do these things. You've got to book that plane ticket, even if it feels like you can't afford it time-wise or yep. financially. No one's going to do that for you. No one's going to show up. A mentor, you'll get mentors, but no mentor is going to show up and go, this is exactly what I need you to do, and here's the money to do it. Yeah. Um, you'll have charlatans that show up and do that. You'll have snake oil salesmen and politicians mm-hmm. and preachers and, you know, various people that will show up, and I've, I've, I've got this life-saving um, way to do things. And you'll buy that shiny thing, 
and then you'll be miserable again. Then you realize you're the one that has to do it. Mm-hmm. Ownership of yourself, of your. That's why my favorite word in the yep. English language is sovereignty. Mm. Ain't nobody gonna do it for you. That's right. Who said that? That's I don't some know. great quote. <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna do it for you. Is that on the Daily Show? I don't know. If I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> heard something that's like I hear all the time. Right. I. But it's true. It's like you really have to take that action yourself. Well. As we're coming to the end, I just want you to know how incredibly inspired I am by our conversation, how grateful I am. And I hope that everybody listening takes away these tools to think about if they really are doing what they love in their Mm -hmm. life. And if they're not, how they can start thinking about making some positive shift so they can get more in alignment with where they're destined to go. So thank you so much. And just quick rapid fire questions as we finish up first what is in your morning cup right now butter coffee love with yeah collagen and and uh brain oil love that uh-huh. love yeah. you said you live close to the picnic burnet i do yeah yeah, yeah just down yeah. the street that's so yeah. fun you make it at home i do yeah oh that's awesome but well, i've had yours many times yes so. <laughs> i love it well maybe we had some part of inspiration in that who knows i'm really that sounds delicious and then um what is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning my mission your mission which is to which is root and river's mission is to inspire leaders to go inward that's where the answers are and my personal mission is to reflect everyone's everyone i meet's value back to them i mm-hmm. want to be a mirror i want to be show what i say show you the pearl i want to like it's my my prayer for humanity, which is if we could just see what God sees or the universe, whatever you call that entity, if we could just see what God sees for 10 seconds, we would never be the same. And so, <laughs> so when I'm when I'm out doing my thing, when I get up, I'm like, well, who can I reflect back to today? Sometimes it's my wife, Lena. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a team member at Rune River. Sometimes it's a barista somewhere. Sometimes a, it's me. Sometimes it's you, <laughs> yes. So, well, I even think about like when I was sitting at that table waiting to meet you, and yeah. I had that wonderful conversation with that young lady I'll probably never see again. But it was like, oh, th- 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 I can hold up a mirror right now. And um, this is why I say I don't give advice. Yeah. Um, I just hold up a mirror. And that's what gets me out of bed um, pretty much every day. Wow, you're amazing. This <laughs> was you. so wonderful. Thank you so much for it being here. It was fun, truly fun. I, I've had a interesting year and, and of highs and lows, and this is definitely a high. So thank yes. You. Oh, bless you. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard, please check me out on iTunes and like, subscribe, and leave me a review. It would be very much appreciated. I would love that so much. And then you can check me out on Instagram, Naomi Seifter, S-E-I-F-T-E-R, or my company, Picnic, P-I-C-N-I-K, Austin. And we are so looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks a bunch. See you next time.